I respect the past enormously. So the savoir-faire, the skills, not only in fashion, but in everything what I do. But it's not that I'm nostalgic. I try to look to the future and I try to make clothes really for the future and not for, for people who live now and not in the past. I am Susie Menkes and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. I can't think of Dries van Noten without seeing the swaying water of Antwerp's harbour in front of his lofty workplace where the colours and patterns of the fabrics fill the shelves. Or maybe Dries would take me through the garden of his home, away from the city, where I would see flowers whose patterns are echoed through 30 years of his collections. But then there are other memories of the Dries van Noten shows in Paris, so sophisticated and so intriguing in their marriages of art and craft, poetic but never prissy. There was something miraculous about the flowering of the Antwerp Six, the group of fashion students. They all graduated from Antwerp's Royal Academy of Fine Arts between 1980-81. They managed, with the help of intellectual teacher Linda Loper, to plant the seeds of style in the Belgian city. As an alumni of the strong-minded school, but also as a realist whose parents were makers of clothing, Dries created a balance of reality and dream. When one aspect came forward, like the magnetic combination of the pragmatic Belgian realist and the haute couture imagination of Christian Lacroix, the effect marked fashion's history. Let's listen to the little boy who watched his mother spread the Christmas table with nuns' embroidered cloths, who fled the countryside for punk and urgent music in the city, and eventually learned how to balance the different aspects of his life. Dries, it's wonderful to see you. I only wish I were in Antwerp with you. And um, I can imagine you've been spending a lot of time in your garden in this lockdown. But I'm sure at the same time, you've also worked a lot on your new collection. Hi, Susie. Yes, of course. Uh, very nice to see you too, because it's been it's been a while and it's a quite strange and, and difficult year. But on the other hand, we are very happy that we have indeed the garden, that we have fashion and that we can continue. So let's talk about a few nice things. We should do this more often. But um, most of all, I, I'm so pleased with my first question that I'm going to <laughs> go straight in now. It's a question, you see, that, that I can't really believe it's true because I've walked with you through your home and that beautiful garden, much loved garden. It's in Antwerp, of course, and we were with your partner, Patrick. And you suddenly announced to me that when you were young, in the 1970s, your father forced you to garden and that you hated it. And with all those beautiful patterns in your years of design, can it possibly be true that you started your life not liking flowers? I think I always liked flowers, but the fact of the, the act of gardening for me was something which I really didn't like. I think it's quite normal that as a young guy, you want to rebel against your parents. And I think you have to see it a little bit in that, in that uh, way. 
So yeah, it was on television. You saw David Bowie performing uh, in strange outfits. You saw all those exciting things. You saw glam rock. You saw all those things happening on television. And then I had to go out in the cold weather gardening and I hated it. For me, it was much more exciting because we were living on the countryside. So the nature was always around me. But it was really that fact that you had to do like, yeah, cutting wood and all those things. I, I, I was really not, not a fan of it. And I think as everything in life can, can change at a certain moment, I think uh, the moment I could, when I was 18, I moved back to the city and I loved it. Uh, it was really like wild times. It was like the beginning of punk. It was a lot of new type of discotheques. It was really a fun thing. So I really loved the city and I couldn't even imagine to go back, back to, to the countryside. But then I think in my 30s, I start, yeah, it popped up again. And then, of course, you know that part of your, of your education, you can't really escape. So, and there it was again. So my love of gardening, gardening started again. So uh, buying pots, putting plants in it, and then little by little, the garden became bigger and bigger. And uh, here we are. This period, is this the time that you were um, working alongside the Antwerp Six, that famous group of creative designers um, it must have played a major role in your um, life, in your fashion life. And that's what, 25 years ago? Have I got that right? I think it's a bit longer ago, unfortunately. I would wish that it was only 25 years ago. No, in fact, it, it was like, yeah, we, we, met, we all met in the late 70s uh, on uh, Antwerp Fashion School, which was in that time a really very small school. So automatically we all became friends because there were very few students. I think there was a very positive competition between us. So it was really, everybody had this strong point. So everybody brought something into the group. We went on holiday together. We traveled together. We traveled together to, to New York for the first time. We traveled the first time also to, to Tokyo. So it was really kind of, it was very stimulating for each other. So Anne was, uh, was incredible in drawing and she had like, uh, her boyfriend was a very good photographer. I had the knowledge of fabrics and, and the, re the real sense because I had the education uh, of my parents in the stores. Marta had kind of that whole sense of flamboyance. But then you had also Walter was really very focused on London with punk and Vivian Westwood coming up and all those things. So it was, it was that energy which was really very, very good between us. And afterwards, we, we decided, in fact, to to launch together our collections, not because we all were doing the same thing, which is completely not true, but uh, we had kind of a shared vision. And we were all living in Antwerp, of course, which helped also. So I'm very interested in the way that you've been involved um, in uh, different art pieces. Um, certainly your music story is fascinating. I mean, you can go through it better than I can, but you have had some of the um, greatest and most interesting um, people of your age who uh, were used for the shows. What's the great one that comes into your memory or maybe several of them? For the music, it was incredible how we could work together with musicians to make soundtracks to who, people who gave us permission. So at a certain moment, I had that rather crazy idea that uh, I wanted to use only the words, only the, the recorded voice of Sting of Every Breath You Take because it's such an, such an iconic song, but I was not so interested in, in the, mu the, the instruments around it. And uh, they gave us the part so that we could make a completely new so uh, soundtrack. 
with only the voice of Sting, which was really kind of rather mesmerizing. But it, it goes for a lot of people. So we had like the permission of David Bowie to do like a remix of uh, really important songs for him. Um, so I really, really feel spoiled that we have those those people who say yes when you you ask a question uh, to to do to, to do a remix or to use a piece of the song. The last one also um, the video what we made was with. One another iconic song, I think, which was uh, Massive Attack. And um, as for me, shows are so important. It really has to to be all right. And music is kind of a key to create the right emotions. So in that way, for me, I'm I'm very happy that we can do those things. Well, obviously, you did an immense amount of things with um, the artists of music and sound. But you also, particularly today, have an involvement with with artists, meaning um, people who produce images. And um, for your current collection, uh, as lockdown, we hope, is receding, you've produced a book of photography by um, Vivian Sasson. And um, it draws inspiration from the video work of um, the influential New Zealand artist, Len Lai, the textile prints that come from his experimental films that he did back in the 1930s, if I'm not wrong. That's a lot of artistic inspiration and, and really for one set of shows. T- tell me about it. Why did you choose it? Um, when we were working in lockdown on the new collection for summer uh, 21, I really wanted to have something kind of an antidote, something which is really completely the opposite. Everybody felt so miserable and so like, okay, nobody knew what the future was going to bring. So I wanted really to have something uplifting and something quite abstract. So we said like color, joy, fun. When you Google, in fact, color and joy and fun and these these words you arrive at Len Lai. So I think it was quite by coincidence that we found his films on YouTube. And first, when you see the films, you really think that's kind of 70s psychedelic uh, things. And then when you start to investigate more, you discover, in fact, that it's made in the 1930s, especially when you hear the music, which is all kind of jazz age, kind of fun, uh, fun music. So I was so fascinated because it's it's so... Not a lot of people know Len Lai. And um, for me, it was really kind of a discovery. So we contacted the museum in uh, New Zealand who owns, in fact, the rights of all the, the films. And we made a deal with them that we could make stills of the films which we could use to develop the prints. And afterwards, the moment that we had to present this collection, for me, it was quite clear that I said, like, okay, now I want to project those films in a white space and having models dancing in the clothes into the projection so that really that you don't know, in fact, where the print starts and where the projection ends. You certainly are very um, creative in the way you present your shows. But also, um, I'm pretty impressed about the way you have um, built your business because, you know, it's rare to hear of creative people, particularly of of your generation, to have really made a business. Um, So many uh, come to a peak and then you see it sadly fading away. And your business may remain relatively small, even though I think if I've counted it right, you've got um, 18 cities around the world have um, stores with your name across them. And you've been on the fashion calendar, as you, you've corrected me, I know, and said that um, it's longer than I think, 1992. Now, do you think, Dries, if you were a designer of today, could you do that same thing? Could you build up from a small start into 30 years of successful fashion? It's very, very difficult to look, especially now, to look towards the future and to predict the future. But I think there are 
always really opportunities. I think for everybody, there is really a big chance, even maybe now more than before, because until last year, I think uh, everybody was convinced that fashion really belonged to the big groups and that it was the only way of making fashion possible. Uh, I think now with, with the whole corona crisis and every, everything what people went through, I think there is much more interest again in smaller things, in more individual things, in kind of a very very personal take on fashion, but not only on the garments and the way the creativity itself, but also about the fashion business. So you clearly hear now when you talk with fashion students that they dream more to do something really individual, something small, going nearly back to the couture, made to measure, uh, really made things on demand. Instead of being part of the big fashion circus. So I think it, it's it's a very interesting time and who knows what it's going to be in 30 years. So I think fashion is part of our culture. Part of, uh, Fashion is, for me, is important. So I still see an important role for fashion and fashion designers in 30 years. But of course, how the fashion, uh, the business is going to look like, how the, the whole way that you can buy clothes that you, that they are made as collections or that they're going to be more ready-made or that it's going to be more made to measure or couture. This I don't know, but I think it's very interesting times. It's interesting times and interesting for you because although you're saying, and you're right, that you're interested in what you might say the smaller side so that the detail, everything that's designed, I know is designed by you, but you actually made a decision in 2018 to join Pooch, which is one of the top luxury conglomerates, particularly when it comes to fragrances. So that is a way in which you embraced the larger side of fashion. And, and I don't know what else is on the cards. Are there more Dries stores coming along? And how is the relationship with Pooch progressing? I think the Pooch for me was really the right partner to choose and to, to start to work together with because they really allow us to stay ourselves to follow our own path and they were not forcing us like maybe other big groups would do of uh, being part of the of the business changing the, the base the basic ideas of how we see fashion uh, I think in that way you really have the opportunities of course the ideas of growing and the moment that I decided to join Pooch was really also because I wanted to have a future for my brand and also especially have a future for all those amazing people who work here already sometimes for more than 30 years in the company. And uh, I didn't want to, that I had to say at a certain moment, sorry, people, I, I had it, I stop and now bye-bye. So in that way, I think Butch really gives us the opportunity to that creates a future for everybody and also for the brand. Of course, we are thinking now, uh, we're looking to the world. We still plan to open more stores. We opened last summer in the middle of the Corona times. We opened a store in LA, which was really kind of an adventure because I had to design the store completely on long distance. Everything was designed by FaceTime and Zoom. To say honestly, I never visited the building. So we decided, in fact, to rent it when already in the, in the beginning of the corona crisis. It was in uh, April last year. And I started to design the store in, in May to, and the works were done in June, July and August. And we opened somewhere, I think, end of, of September. So I'm looking really forward now. I got my vaccine. Uh, now, once I'm going to get my vaccine... Uh, to travel to, to LA to discover the store. There we managed because a lot of people say, oh, the future of stores, it's, uh, it's over. There is no future anymore. Uh, everything is going to be e-com and there you have to do the big investments. I still believe us a lot in brick and mortar stores, I think hand in hand with e-commerce. 
But LA was really kind of an experiment to see what can we do, how can a brick and mortar store for the future look like, where we mix again art, music, all those different things, books, um, garden shears. It's all those, those different little things which are dear to me. So it's, we create more like a world than just kind of a store. And of course, we, we, we hope that this would also work in other places in the world. So we are looking around and if we find really the right space on the right spot, then uh, why not? Let's go for it. Have you got a dream place where you would like to open up? Somewhere you've always thought about? Um, there are, of course, uh, places where I think uh, China, of course, is getting more and more important also for us. So we don't have a store yet in Beijing, so why not? Or we have also other options. So we started now in, in America, in LA. So there are other cities, of course, in, in, New, in uh, the States also, like New York, which would be a very nice thing. But again, there, for me, it's more important to have the right the right type of building, the right atmosphere, the right spot, the right street around it. And to have there that, that opportunity, then saying, okay, let's make a business plan. And we have to open a store next year in, in, in uh, spring in New York. When we don't have the right spot, okay, then New York has to wait. There is a magical side to your work. I suppose I'd call it the Dries Code. You've explored, you've absorbed so many different influences. But when it comes down to it, there is a Dries look to the store. There's a mixture of things, a mixture of clothes. And there are other things as well that perhaps not everyone knows about. There's your Indian embroidery, although I think I see less of it now. But even so, there are elements that all come together in your work. I think in everything what I do, there is also the love for skill, for craft, also for kind of, how shall I say, I respect the past enormously. So the savoir-faire, the skills, not only in fashion, but in everything what I do. But it's not that I'm nostalgic. I try to look to the future and I try to make clothes really for the future and not for, for people who live now and not in the past. So, and I think that's something that you feel uh, in the collections because indeed... The clothes are very layered in, in a very more, more spiritual way, nearly. So there are a lot of references. There is a lot of things happening in my mind. I'm a very curious person, so I see a lot. I see a lot of exhibitions. I see a lot of museums. So in all that knowledge which I have, and as I'm getting older now, there is quite a lot of knowledge, uh, I think it reflects also in the clothes. And I think it also reflects in the stores. Even when we do a store where you have, like the one in LA, which is quite empty and quite minimal, still you have there the clash between old work tables from the 1920s, where then a young contemporary furniture designer made grafted kind of very contemporary modern uh, furniture on top of it. So you have always those tensions, the clashes, the contrast between all those beautiful things which I love. Well, I think you also maybe have a contrast between two things that you don't really talk about. I want to know where your heart is in Antwerp or in Paris. After all, originally there was the Antwerp 6, long time ago now, but that was how you won the recognition and then you came to Paris and, um, of course, you're still very important in Paris. But going back to what I said before, where is your heart with all this? Does it remain in Antwerp, looking out from your um, place where you work? I think I'm a citizen of the world, I think. I 
love Antwerp and I think it's a super city to live in and also especially to work in because uh, it's not like big cities, super, super expensive. Uh, so we can have nice spaces. We, it's a very, very easy life what we have here. It's not a life which asks a lot of energy. I can imagine when you live in Paris or London, just that all the spaces are smaller and there's a lot of, it's, it's really like a crowd on one end it can inspire, but on the other hand, it asks also energy taking the Metro or taking a taxi. It's already quite something here. You just take the little bike and you drive from one part of the city to the other, or you just walk because the city is not so big. So in that way, for me, Antwerp is a very practical city. And of course, also, as it's a smaller city, you don't have that competition. So people know each other and it's a little more kind of, yeah, a village feeling nearly. I love Paris. I love Paris. Absolutely. I think Paris is, is so beautiful and so incredible. And I got also the most incredible opportunities to do fashion shows from the Hotel de Ville to Opera Garnier to most beautiful parks, Jardin du Palais Royal. So we all did fashion shows there, which I think especially for somebody from Antwerp, coming from Antwerp to Paris, was kind of an incredible opportunity. So Paris is there, Paris I love, but for work I prefer Antwerp. Um, going back to the um, idea of all your um, staff on their little bicycles following you around and uh, in this small city, there are a lot who are there who must have been with you for 25 years. And I'd like to know, how do you keep people feeling relevant to modern times? I mean, yourself as well. You know, it's hard, isn't it? Obviously, I know you've got young, new people as well. But how do you develop people or yourself to face up to the incredibly fast changing of what goes on in the number of um, different companies that have suddenly started, changes of people who actually design the clothes? How do you keep up with all that? Or do you want to keep up with it? I think I need to keep up. I, th I think it's I have to stay relevant. I think when I do just pretty clothes which are not relevant, I'm not interested anymore. So I really want that my team surprises me and I want to surprise my team. So it's, it's a very important thing for me that I challenge myself, but also my team constantly. So that I really, it's like, okay, if you think like, okay, these colors we did, okay, let's try something else. Let's see. People have to explain me also when I ask them, okay, we make a collection fully in black and then they say, no, we want to bring in color. Then they have to explain me why. So it's a constant discussion. I call it creative ping pong. Uh, so I throw something to them. They have to return it, but sometimes with effect so that it's getting difficult to catch. But then when you catch it, it's even more rewarding because then you say, oh, maybe indeed that's the right thing to do. Because when I talk about my collections quite often, I say the we word. I, I use we because I really consider me part of the team. And until now, it really works very well because I think the mixture of people who know a big part of the history of Dries van Oten, but then mixed with really young people straight from fashion school, I think it works very well. And I think that gives also the right energy. And that's, I think, what you feel in the collections. I want to ask you about the most extraordinary ping pong that we saw from you when you um, worked for spring-summer 2020 with that collection, with Christian Lacroix. I mean, everybody was so stunned and surprised. We sat there in the Upper Bastille in Paris, and there were the little signs. You'd look at something and think, it looks as though something's happening here, um, and it looks a bit like Lacroix. And then there was that unforgettable moment when you came out and took the bow together, and we all rushed backstage and talked to you about it. Tell us about this collaboration. What was it like to work together and, and why? How did it all happen? 
I started with that collection Summer 20. I really wanted to do something over the top. A lot of color, a lot of embroidery, a lot of flowers. And we were making a mood board. And I saw different pictures coming up of couture from uh, couture pictures from Christian Lacroix. And uh, I said, like, I don't want to just be inspired by Christian Lacroix. I think it's, it's, he, it's too incredible to just take inspiration from it. So there came the idea, like, why the don't I just contact him? And I wrote him a nice letter and he replied immediately so that he, he loved the idea. So we started to work a little bit. In uh, 18th century, we did research on 18th century jacquards in Lyon and we made all that work and we were sitting together and it was it was for me an incredible moment. It was kind of really something which I say that, that those six months working on that collection was really the highlight of my career because it was not only creatively so much fun, because I learned so much from him. Christian is really a very generous person. And what is amazing, what he do, we always still keep in our mind, okay, this we can't do for this reason, this we can't do for this reason. Okay, we have to think about the selling price, so don't use too much fabric. Uh, here are the ribbons. No, we can't do this. Christian all forgot that, of course. He just he just said, like, I'm used to working couture, so just let add something more. And even there, and then still a brooch on it, and still this. So that was... So fantastic because at a certain moment, as uh, being a long time already in the business, so uh, you get conditioned. You say automatically, this you can't do because of. And this is really something which I learned from Christian, that you have to forget all that. You have really to follow your heart. And even when your brain says, don't do that, when your heart says, go for it, and we do that. And I think it was both creatively and human. Uh, for me, it was like an incredible experience. Teresa, I, I want to talk about something now which you may feel is a little too personal. I know everyone knows you came from a family of tailors so that fashion is in your blood. I don't know whether you were aware of that as a child growing up. But over the years when I've been with you, you've said things that I found fascinating. I remember you telling me that you were fascinated by the ribbons, that your mother collected these ribbons and that you played with them as a child and that she collected tablecloths worked by nuns and she wouldn't let you light the Christmas candles in case they burned these precious cloths. On the other side, we went past a school and you told me that it was your school, a Jesuit school, quite austere, I understood. So would you describe your background as very Northern European, very serious, very Jesuit, and not really the sunny South? I think, yeah, it's it's kind of that. So I think it's also... A little bit what, what you feel in my work. On one hand, it's really um, down to earth with my two feet on the ground. But on the other hand, I'm also a dreamer. And I love also psychedelic things. I love Frank Zappa. I love all those completely nuts things. So I think for me, it's, it stays always quite theoretical. Because, of course, I, wasn't, I was not really in the, in, the, in the group of friends of Frank Zappa. And because my, my upbringing has been quite classic, even in fashion school, for me, I was a more traditional guy. So I was knowing how you had to make a men's suit. I knew about fabrics, but I was not, knowing, not really aware of all the more crazy things which were happening in London. So you had that kind of that combination of really something quite down to earth. 
But on the other hand, also the love and the longing for, for extremes, for, for going really all the way. And I think that's some, something which make, may make me also stronger because when you just go only for the wild things, sometimes you lose yourself. And I think for me, it's always a little bit of battle to have both things well in balance so that I know that, okay, that the collection is grounded and that what I make makes sense and that people actually can wear it. But on the other hand, that you have also the dream coming in, the colors, the embroideries, the exotism, all those things. And of course, I'm a terrible customer for you because I always go to the wild side and I have so many beautiful pieces, all very colorful and great mixes of pattern. And that's just somehow in my blood. And um, But I love the way that I can still wear them. They don't, for me, fit into a particular era. I can take something that I've got in my cupboard and wear it again, and um, it feels just as good as it always did. Um, one of the things that I love, of course, is anything to do with India and the embroidery. And um, is that very much what you're still doing? I, I feel there's less of that Indian embroidery the, than there was, say, what, 10, 15 years ago? I think I think that when you looked at the at the collection of Lacroix and and especially also the collection Afs, which which we just showed on the eve of the Corona crisis, I think we were one of the last shows in, in uh, end of February uh, last year. I think there were tons of embroidery, even all the jewels were completely embroidered. So I still have that relationship with my people uh, who do the embroidery. Okay, now for summer collection with the Land Lie, and now for next winter collection, there is less embroidery because unfortunately also. Uh, all the manufacturers in India were in lockdown, so we're also in quarantine. So instead, also my people who couldn't, who normally are living nearly 50% of the time in India to do all the embroideries, were not able to travel. So we had to simplify the embroideries, but still I work still together with manufacturers, which I started with more than 25 years ago. So, and I feel really also very responsible. So it's very important for me that I create enough embroidery that all those people also can continue to embroider because we talk really about thousands of people who work for us in India on all those embroideries. And there I really feel responsible. So in the summer collection now, uh, you have more like folklore blouses, simpler things, no crazy components because we couldn't we couldn't get them simply. Uh, we have just like small yarn embroidery. We have yarn, uh, little beads, but again, yes, we we have quite a lot of embroidery in the collection. Maybe not so visible, but it's there. Um, I haven't mentioned yet Momu, the fashion museum um, in Antwerp, which really is a very exceptional place. Are you involved with the museum? I mean, apart from having an exhibition there, um, is it something that you try to help, that you attend a lot? Is it part of your life? It's, it's not really part of my life, but of course, everything what they do, I really follow and I help them as, as much as I can with the knowledge or with contacting people and uh, these things. They have also beautiful collection of us because already very early on when Linda Lopa started the, the fashion museum in Antwerp, I made an agreement with her that from every season they could choose five outfits. So I think they have uh, the most beautiful archive from our pieces. They keep the pieces in exceptional good quality, of course, which, which I think is really great. And they gave me the opportunity to, to build up their, the, the, the exhibition, which we initiated in Paris in the Art Decorative. 
So I have very good relationships with them. So and now for the moment we are closed for works, and I think they plan to open. I think beginning of next year, end of this year, or beginning of next year. So I'm really looking forward to that. I promise you that I will be there. I'm looking forward to that moment. Absolutely, me too. Please <laughs>、um, let's go back to the beginning of what we were talking about. And talk about flowers.、Um, as I said, I've been in your much-loved garden in your home near Antwerp, and、um, I seem to remember I walked through the garden with you, and there was very British-style rain falling on our heads.、Um, you have photographed many of the blooms for your textile prints. You've frozen flowers in blocks of ice displayed on the runway. Um, in 2017, I think it was, and you used them as a backdrop. You've used flowers all the time. In your heart, is there an endless play on the beauty of nature? What do flowers and nature mean to you in your heart? I think flowers and nature and fashion are very linked. I think it's also something. There is always like an end and a new beginning. I think the beauty of flowers is also that、uh, you see them, you see the bud, you start them getting in bloom, you see the full bloom, and at the end also they disappear and they make place for something else. And I think that cycle is something which I really,、uh, I think it's, it's. I'm a very curious person.、Uh, not that I'm quickly bored, but I want to see always and what's next and what's next. And I think that's fantastic in the garden also.、Uh, just around Christmas, you have the witch hazels which are coming in bloom. Immediately afterwards, you have the aconites. Immediately afterwards, you have the first daffodils. So you have that really that sequence the whole time, the following up of one thing after each other. So you have that constant surprise and. Of course, especially with the changing climate, sometimes you have also different combinations of flowers.、Uh, remember last year with a very warm spring, what we had for the first time, we had、uh, bluebells together with roses, which we never had because normally roses are much later. But now they, they, the last year they started very early. So it's a constant, yeah, surprise and discovery, and that's what I love about nature because it's it's it makes you also very human because. We in fashion we try to control a lot of things, and fashion and nature you can't control. And I think that keeps me also humble, and I think that's also important because otherwise, in fashion sometimes we take ourselves a little bit too serious. It's very moving what you say, and it's very moving to hear your idea of beauty of the plants, and also how involved you are and how much you love it. But there's only one thing I wish. I want you to go on looking after your flowers forever, but I want you also to go on designing fashion forever. Not put one in front of the other. Okay, but I try to combine it, and until now it it works. So let's let's continue in that way. I feel today you've got a tremendous amount of hope and enthusiasm, and that you know it's a bit like a flowers in a garden. That、um, if one thing fails, another will come bouncing up. So、um, I have great. I have great thought that、um, you will have a very successful year, however difficult it is. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Let's hope so. <laughs> and I can't wait to、um, come back to Antwerp and to see you and all your people there. And、um, I wish you and them all the luck in the world. Thank you, Susie. Dries, I have so enjoyed seeing your life through your own eyes, especially against the background of the famous Antwerp Six. You and your fellow designers made history and shed a new light on Belgium as a fashion-creative place. Having walked through the garden of your country home and having watched decades of your shows, I have learned how much energy you put into creating your collections, spiced with your personal spirit. 
I can't wait to see how you develop your fragrance working with the skills of Spanish-based pooch. You told us about your surprise at seeing Mother Nature make bluebells and roses bloom together in your garden. I can't wait to see nature's utterly original mix in your next show. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do subscribe and follow it. Just head to the iTunes to rate and review. Next time, I shall be talking to Anya Hindmarch, where I shall be exploring the whimsical world of the handbag. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram.